This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. And this is Time Capsule, Episode 392. Yes, after quite a long hiatus, here we are in April, and here is Time Capsule's return. We're glad to be back, and it is our magazine-style interview podcast where I feature different interviews that are done recently, and sometimes I'll go back in the archives as well. Audio dramas have become so popular with so many produced in sci-fi and horror. One of those is Hatchet Audio, which had 15 nominations at the Audio Awards. And one of their titles, Monsters We Defy, actually won in the category of fantasy. Written by Leslie Penelope and read by Shana Small, who are my guests. You're writing for audio. Does that change compared to what it was in print or, or is it the same? It's the same book. It, I didn't write a different version or make any addition, any changes for the audiobook. But um, a couple of years ago, I did start writing my manuscripts with the idea of audio in mind. I think with maybe my first experiences with audiobook narration and hearing how narrators, you know, if it's not specific enough, it can be misinterpreted. And if I'm just writing, thinking about reading it on the page, not even thinking about how it would sound read out loud, it's just a different perspective. So I'd shifted my mindset as a writer and started thinking about, okay, kind of audio first, like it's going to be fine on the page no matter what, but is there something I can do to make it potentially easier for a narrator to record it? So you get the script, Shana, and um, I, I guess you had a director as well or somebody in the, in, you know, with you uh, recording? There was an engineer. An engineer. Wow. So it's really just you. Just me on this one. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's written really well and really specific. So it was like, okay. Let's go, you know. This is another thing, too. I don't call it reading. It's a performance because that's really what it is. And even though you might take a step back as a narrator, but when you're the characters, you're the characters. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as more of a performance than it's, it's just a different stage. But that's really what it is, you know, to me. Off the soapbox. <laughs> Leslie, <laughs> what is your reaction when you first heard the, the audio version of this? Yeah, it's like hearing the characters brought to life and you know, they sound a certain way in my head when they're right when I'm writing them. Um, and just hearing Shana's interpretation was was really amazing because I thought it was spot on. You know, it's like it's so yeah. similar to what I had in my head for these characters. And that's not always the case. So I was really just delighted. I, I, everyone was so distinct and the energy was there that I was trying to come, you know, have come across from these characters. It's like you felt their energy. Um, so yeah, it was just a really good experience, uh, for, for me not having anything to do with it aside from writing the actual words. Um, I was, yeah, I was super excited when I heard it. Let's talk about your characters, Clara Johnson. Now her skill is she can talk to spirits, which is pretty cool. Kind of tell us a little bit about her. So that maybe people that haven't read it kind of get to know her a little bit. So yeah, The Monsters We Defy, it's a heist story that takes place in 1925 in Washington, D.C. And Clara Johnson is our main character. She's a young woman who has a past. Uh, she was born with the ability to talk to spirits. And then over the course of her life, she made a deal with another spirit. Um, and so these deals give people charms and tricks. And a charm is sort of like a, a bonus power. And a trick is the downside. And several of the characters in the novel have both of these that they're usually trying to get away from. 
you know, it's kind of, you make a deal with the devil almost, uh, and to get out of a situation or to create something in your life, but the downside is always there. And so, yeah, Claire is prickly. She, uh, she doesn't suffer fools. She doesn't have a lot of patience. Um, she's really in touch with her anger <laughs> and she was a, she was a good character to write because she's nothing like me, but <laughs> she was just a lot of fun. And she's actually based on, on a, on a real person that I found during the research. And so oh, just cool. creating a fictional world for this character. This and all the others complete interviews will be available on Sci-Fi Talk. Monsters We Defy, look for it on audio. There is more Time Capsule, so stay tuned. Hello Tomorrow is nearing its first season run on Apple TV+. I spoke to the showrunners Lucas Jansen and Amit Bala. There's a, there's a line that uh, Joey says that I think really sums up one of the themes of this is, sometimes truth gets in the way. <laughs> and I thought that was such a great line for this. That is such a main theme, uh, uh, telling the truth and what truth is in this reality, and particularly in Jack's eyes. So talk about that a little bit. Well, it cuts both ways for us, right? Um, the truth, we have this, we have, we feel like as uh, we have this demand to, for the truth, to be honest. And um, we often forget all the ways in which we mislead ourselves or prefer to be misled because it's like Jack says in episode eight, he says, what is life without a dream to make it go down easy? You know, it's hard to, it's hard to face up to this world straight. And sometimes the, the people we need around us are the people who give us a sense of unreality. Those kinds of people and those kinds of relationships can also load a rocket full of uh, unwitting customers and ship it off to the moon. And what it's like when you land there is a whole another story. Lies and, 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 and promises and uh, beliefs and trust and faith are, are messy a messy space and and we're always trying to you know there are really important things in there and really destructive things in there and knowing the difference or finding waiting our way through it is um i think you know a really important part of life and 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 one that that reason doesn't really help you with so um you know maybe we need need, need shows or stories that can um <clears throat> just kind of explore all the notes versus giving us an answer and those ambiguities you know the robots aren't going to get us there either it's <laughs> it was very it was it was very it was it was almost surreal to have the show on the air while you know uh we're, we're the culture is becoming so fascinated by chat gpt or 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 by you know, all the things robots or we think robots can do for us. But one thing a robot can never do is embody that ambivalence about the truth. It's always ones and zeros for them. But in the heart, um, there's something beyond the ones and zeros. And that's whatever this messy connection is between Jack and Joey. That's whatever the messy connection is between two people who both could say by virtue of their reason or their intellect, this is wrong, this is bad, and can feel by virtue of their heart, um, which is stubborn, but also a beautiful thing that can't help but open itself. Uh, this, is, this is exactly what I need. 
Look for Hello Tomorrow on Apple TV Plus and alternate 1950s with those cool futuristic hover cars. The complete interview will be available next week on Sci-Fi Talk. Stephen Steele talked to me about his new novel, The Organ Grinder Factor, about a 3D printer that prints human organs. And then there's the organ grinder factor. And what is interesting about that, and I, I saw a quote that this is actually happening, is they I, I've seen them 3D print now a rocket that was actually going to be launched, which is amazing. Um, and um, I don't know if you've seen the series The Peripheral, but uh, the main character actually works in a store that's loaded with 3D printers, and they print up everything. This is set in the near future. But in your is that, book, on, is that on Netflix? I believe it's, yes, I believe it is on Netflix. It's just been renewed. It's based on William Gibson's books. So, uh, yeah, it's actually, it was pretty interesting. Uh, but I'm not going to get into the whole thing of it, but essentially you, um, the, the main character discovers that she can go into an alternate world and occupy like essentially a body that's it's just a body sort of like avatar it's it's mm -hmm. literally an avatar and then you have all these physical skills but you still have your own personality so anyway that's what that's about uh but she works doing that and um so what's interesting is you said that they actually are working on right now and have maybe developed already 3D printing some uh, human organs? They they have printed, uh, successfully printed uh, human tissue. Human tissue, wow. So, I mean, that's that's fact. But, you know, and I'll, I'll get back to answering specifically your question in just a moment. Sure. But the, the cool thing about sci-fi is all things are created from the imagination. That's right. And... That's how we manifest stuff in real life. When, when I was a kid, there was this wonderful movie in the 50s called Destination Moon. Yes, you know? yes, I've seen it, and, of course. And, and I, I'd go around the house going 10, 9, 8, 7, you know, blast off until I drove my parents crazy. But, you know, then a moment later, a minute later, you know, Neil Armstrong's walking on the moon. That's how we... That's how it goes. So the, that's what's so wonderful about science fiction is that it is the it, it, it's the, the impetus. It, it creates the future, the future. Yeah. And without that imagination, you don't have a future. You know, you no. just keep on till you destroy everything inside. The organ grinder re replaces human organs without the need for surgery. Yeah. And, and, and that's not possible right now. No, no, oh, but, okay. but 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 I do have photographs. I have pictures of human three D or or three D tissue that's been printed up, replicated with it. So uh, that that is fiction now. It doesn't. But the way I describe it in the book, it absolutely is believable, and it would work because it works. The the organ grinder works just like your color printer on your desk. You know there are four. Colors in your, in your printer, right? Right. But from those four colors, you make virtually every every color in existence. I don't know yeah. how, it works, but it does. Mm -hmm. And the same way that there are there are um, uh, 
basic uh, building blocks of the of the human you know the, 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 of the human body. There's you know major classes of of uh, uh, biomolecules. You know carbohydrates, hydrates, mm-hmm. lipids, nucle- nucleic acids. Yep, including DNA and RNA and protein. And you know protein makes up eighty percent of the body. So in this case, we've got vats of those. And a whole bunch of other stuff, um, you know, sulfur, phosphorus, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, it goes on and on. And those are the those are your four colors, if you will, that you can make all human cells. So this mechanism goes down through the organ, beam of light, and replaces the damaged cells one micro layer at a time. Look for the organ grinder factor wherever you get your books and more information on him and his works at Stephen Steele, and that's Steele with an E at the end, books.com. Staying in the literary front, I spoke to Janaya DeLima, who is book editor and coach, about this important part of the novel writing process. What your clients give you is the actual manuscript, or do you, are you lucky enough to maybe even see an outline before they even start the process? It depends on the client. Some <laughs> clients, yes. Some clients, it comes earlier in the process. And so we don't have a full manuscript yet. They might just have their idea. They've started writing it. It's a very rough draft. It might not be complete. And they're looking for guidance and writing coaching for how do I get from step A to step B? Is there anything in here that you think is missing? How is my world building? How do these characters come across? Because sometimes how we envision our characters and how we perceive them isn't how they come across on the page. And it's always better to know that early on so you don't have as much work later as you would if you addressed it right away. What do you think is the most common mistake that especially first-time writers make? Show, don't tell, which everybody hears, but there is this tendency to want to just share everything that you know about this character and everything about your world building and instead of integrating it throughout the manuscript or letting the character reveal that about themselves or the other characters can reveal it about a character also it just becomes this like paragraphs and paragraphs of narrative and that can be really boring to the reader even though obviously it's interesting to you and you're the one who came up with this world and these characters. So, of course, you find them fascinating and you want to share everything that you come up with. But the best way to do it is to do it piece by piece and not just overload your reader all at once with a giant block of information. Visit JaniaEdits.com for more information on her services and what she can do for you if you're an aspiring writer. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Sylvia DeFonti talked to me about her role as Mother Superior in Warrior Nun. This is what I really liked about the character. She obviously has to protect her nuns, and yet she also has to deal with Cardinal Duretti, and uh, <laughs> eventually becomes Pope. So it's like, wow. And he has a different agenda that may not be the agenda that might be right for what's going on in the world. Uh, but so she has to kind of play politics a little bit. Talk about that aspect of her. Uh, with the material that I had, I decided to to work on my own 
ambivalences. I don't know if that word exists. Um, oh, it does. <laughs> meaning that she she belongs to the church. I I created a background story, you know, a backstory where she uh, had reasons and motivations to be um, grateful and protect the institution, not just because of her faith, but because of the structure that was able in the past to protect her. So that was my family. But then I also had my girls that I trained. So that was my 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 uh, platform, you know, where my, so my, my feet were walking, where my girls were walking. My head was, you know, my eyes and my, mm, a part of my brain was paying attention to the vertical structure that I had to take care of as well. But then the focus was mainly about uh, the objective. And um, the objective is taking care of the warrior nun, taking care of the halo. From season one to season two, there's there's a big transition because of what happens. And uh, so the stakes are really high. Yeah, and at a point it's about choosing where to where to stand. Yeah. So and I and I become very easily a partisan of my girls because that's that what's that's what counts more and that's what I see being the most honest battle to fight while the rest is uh is corrupted. At the beginning strategy was more the attitude uh so observation strategy coldness once she starts to fight also physically she gets closer nearer so you get to you get to feel what she really is you get to see her more more privately i think mm -hmm. that's that's interesting the first two seasons are available for warrior nun on netflix Jay Towers is one of the co-hosts of the Cape Wonder podcast, which keeps alive the Richard Donner era of Superman films and all four of Christopher Reeve's Superman films. Jay is a radio and television personality in Detroit. We spoke recently about these very special films. So, Tony, yeah, um, I met Jim Bowers. I had followed CapedWonder.com, uh, like many other fans, for many years. He started it um, a long time ago. Um, and in 2015, I had an opportunity to talk to him. Um, he wanted to do something at... Um, Oh, we're at WonderCon in Anaheim in 2015. He wanted to do a Richard Donner reunion. Oh, and nice. My background is in, in television and in, mostly in radio. I've been on the radio since I was 14. Yeah, and good old Motor City there, I see. The Motor City, yes. So I started, you know, at the Jersey Shore, Philadelphia, Grand Rapids, <laughs> the Detroit. So, um, so when I met Jim, um, you know, we really got to be great friends. We did that reunion together. We did a great panel. It was the, I think the last time we had 
Margot Kidder and Valerie uh, Perrine and and uh, uh, Jeff East and everybody like on stage uh, for that. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's still on. I I recommend your your listeners and viewers to go to YouTube and look for that because yeah. that panel was really exciting. But yeah, ever mm-hmm. since then, I said, you know, I work at iHeartRadio. Maybe we do a podcast that re- really honor that Jim does this best with his website, but we honor the, the Christopher Reeve legacy, and we've been doing it ever since. For me, the first two are the ones I really lean on. So. And, and I and I think I think a lot of fans say that. Um, back to your thoughts, Tony, on on the on the first film. You know, you had Tom Mankiewicz who reworked that script. Um, yeah, which started as a very long Mario Puzo script, um, and then the Newmans came along, and then they they kind of put their take on it, and then he really cleaned it up, and often talked about how he put that. He thought of that film as kind of like a. Uh, a three act play where you have, you know, the Kryptonian speaking almost Shakespearean, and then you get to Smallville and it's, it's very uh, Norman Rockwell like, and then you you get to Metropolis and it's a comic book. So he, he, that was kind of the plan as Superman two. Um, you know, I think people like that Lester cut if they saw it as a child, like I did, because Mm -hmm it's what we remember. You always go back to the experience and the feelings that you had when you saw something as a kid. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, I, and, and the fans of the Donner cut, and I am one of those fans. We love the Donner cut because it's all the things we had heard about for so many years. We saw oh. photos of, of Lois Lane jumping out of the daily planet building. And uh, we, we saw all these scenes that we, we confused us and um, the Donner cut finally put a lot of the speculation to rest. So, you know, I think you love the Lester cut for the nostalgia. You love the Donner cut because it was his true vision. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, nothing new there about Superman three and four. They just, you know, maybe you have Richard Pryor. They tried to go for the laughs. There are yeah. positive, there are positives though. Um, the flying scenes in Superman three are really, really good. Yeah, uh, they are. Talk about how Christopher Reeve really, mastered it there's a scene after yep. the junkyard the the evil superman and, and clark kent fighting people love that scene i i like that too actually yeah and and you know for what it's worth with superman 4 and i was just with mark pillow uh for an entire weekend uh last weekend <laughs> when it got galaxy con because i represent him for his for his shows um you know, that was the last time we got to see Christopher Reeve in a Superman costume. It was the That's last right. time we got to see him really, no matter how the budget was cut and how the flying effects weren't great. And that movie is what it is. He still gave it his, his, his all. And, and that is the, that's the Superman. That's our Superman. So I think over the years we've gotten, we know, we know the effects are not great. We know the plot isn't great, but we're happy that we have something. And I think yeah. that's why so many fans want to see the footage you're talking about. Um, yeah. Nuclear man one uh, in, in a better quality. You'll, you'll see release the fury cut on Twitter. People just want, people are hungry for anything more they can get. Visit capewonder.com and check out what they have. They've just recently posted the first two drafts of Mario Puzo's original Superman, the movie script. And, and in some cases, very different from the version we know. But I also love that some of the elements from that script survived into the finished product. Based on the best-selling trilogy of novels by Hugh Howey, Silo is set in a future where the outside world is deadly, and a community of 10,000 people survive within a giant underground silo. But their lives are guarded by a strict set of rules, and to disobey them could mean a death sentence. After a series of troubling and puzzling events, 
a hardworking engineer named Juliet, played by Rebecca Ferguson, is led down the path of solving the larger mystery of the silo, and everything she's known is soon turned upside down. If the lies don't kill you, the truth will. And here is part of my conversation with Rebecca Ferguson. Great to meet you, Rebecca. Um, one of the things I look for in an actor's performance is not just what they say, but the way they stand and the way they act. And with uh, Juliet, I noticed at first, she kind of, at times, slightly hunched and didn't make eye contact at first with people because, for whatever reason, was that something that you wanted to bring or to the character or was that in the script? It's, it's so silly. It's like if you would write something and I would go, by the way, I hit, I hit that little note in your writing and you go, yes, thank you. I did. I worked. I worked actually with... It sounds maybe a bit silly. I don't think so. I worked with a body movement coach because I often find myself quite erect, um, poised. Uh, and I thought I really don't want to do that with her because she needs something else. And especially being in a cramped environment with the machinery, you would have these sort of body traumas. Uh, so the hunchback and the fact that she doesn't look at people, I think, is very much how I interpret someone who has a lot of grief and sadness and anger and has these sort of horse thingies up and just moves. She doesn't want to touch people. She doesn't want to be around people. She just wants a machine. So thank you. Yes, I worked really hard on that. Well, it shows great. And, and I love as she progressed, how it changed a little bit too. So that was cool. Thank you. Well, I think one of the main themes of this is truth. And what is truth? And the silo has kind of its own and won't say anything more. Talk about that theme. It really rings, hate to say it, but true to the series. Such a lovely juxtaposition-filled world word of horror. It's funny, isn't it? Because the word is what ejects Juliet into moving forward and into a new position and idealism. It's so interesting to speak about these, so generally and broad. <laughs> But it's also a word that is so misused um, and a word that a lot of people don't question. And it's interesting in this environment that is so compact. I remember I remember um, Hugh Howey once said, he talks about the philosophy of the two minds, Rosso versus Hopper. Rosso says that society is born, we're born good and society destroys us. And Hopper said, we're born evil and society tames us. So he said he liked the idea in the books anyway to have those different idealisms and IT basically being the idea that society tames you, control, truth, the pact. And then you have something like the mechanical who is all about tactile, moving forward, fighting, having feelings and emotions. But one can't really work without the other. What is the truth? But what you first need to is ask the question, who is controlling us? What is controlling us? You know, so the truth is asked on so many different levels. And also, like I come back to philosophically, but Juliet and all the characters, what is the truth for you? Chinaz Oche's character, Billings, hides behind the truth of something that he's hiding with, with something that we can't talk about. We all, <laughs> we all have our own truths and how much we need to to disclose of it. Thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate Love Spark Hunter, day. too, by the way. 
Oh, you listened to it. I sure did. It was fantastic. The entire roundtable will be available with her and more on May 1st, when my Silo special will be airing here on Sci-Fi Talk. But there'll also be some bites in between as well. My program, Sci-Fi Talk Bite, will have some clips as well. And that's it for Time Capsule Episode 392. Sorry it took so long to return. It's good to be back. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks so much for being here.